From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Wade is in the house ready to answer your questions. If you'd like to be part of the program, grab one of these open phone lines. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is one 205 271-2985, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is uh, is Matt Gubensky back. Let's get, let's let's pretend that Matt Gubensky is back until I hear otherwise, and um, probably Ace McKay is handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And I've been alerted that. Mr. Charles Beery is handling our social media efforts, so uh, make sure if you've got something to say, you let Charles know, and we will get it to where it needs to go. And our host, as he is every Tuesday, Father Wade Menezes. What are you afraid of? Oh, not not nothing on this list except for two Getting things. Getting kicked by a Guernsey. That's probably what you're afraid of. <laughs> What's a Guernsey? I don't know what a Guernsey is. What did you guys I have, have no- on the farm? We had Holsteins. What else is oh. there? I mean, come on now. Uh, but, but you know, Guernseys do have a higher percentage rate of being greater kickers than Holsteins. Right? Because, yes, that is not a joke, because they are a, a more stubborn bovine. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> That's you right. Know, I, I should have I figured out that a priest would have black and white cattle. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly right. That's, that's a good point to make. Fostered your vocation early That's on. right. That's right. And you know, I, I just heard from friends today that yesterday uh, they re-aired my Up Close and Personal episode with your lovely wife on Women of Grace, which has some great photographs of for- Father Wade as a 4-H'er and Father Wade as an FFA or showing his cattle, <laughs> showing his Holstein cattle. So be go. sure to find that on, on Women of Grace's website, uh, the up-close-and-personal story with Father Wade Menezes. It's all about my family and how my parents met and how I got my vocation call, etc. But yes, you know, Jack, a week from today is All Hallows' Eve. Secularly, we call it Halloween. The word Halloween comes from the Old English, All Hallows' Eve. So next Tuesday is about All Souls for November 2nd and All Saints for November 1st. So knowing that I'm going to talk about that next week for my springboard, I wanted to talk a little bit about 
spooky things this week on Open Line Tuesday. And so I want to share with our listeners something that I did a couple years ago, and it drummed up a lot of interest, so I thought it would be worth repeating. Uh, What people are afraid of, specifically the top 10 things that people are afraid of, specifically Americans, from a poll that was done just a couple years back. So I'm going to start with number 10. That's my number one, by the way. Number 10 is my number one. (laughs) Okay. Adam Wright told me the same exact thing when I recorded with him (laughs) earlier today for Roadmap to Heaven, his show on Covenant Network. Uh, He told me the same exact thing. And not only that, he told me he has a dentist appointment later on today, this afternoon. So there you have it. I gave away number 10. I'll work my way down to number one. But the top 10 things that Americans are afraid of, according to the pollsters, number 10 is going to the dentist. How about that, huh? Number nine, not bovines, but canines. Huh? People are afraid of dogs, all right? Really? That's uh, Number eight. Number eight. You couldn't be a father of mercy if this is on your personal list. Flying in airplanes, because we fathers of mercy fly a lot as itinerant missionary preachers. Number seven is severe weather. Uh, the pollsters asked the respondents to be more specific, and they said extreme thunder and extreme lightning. Well, right here in Auburn, Kentucky, where the Fathers of Mercy General is located, Jack, uh, we are known to live in what's called Lightning and Thunder Alley, right here in the Tennessee Valley. So uh, that, that that shares the Tuckasee region, Lower Kentucky, Northern Tennessee. Lightning and Thunder Alley. So we get a lot of severe weather here. That's number seven. Number six, the dark. Afraid of the dark. We Americans like things well lit up, huh? Number five, I can kind of relate to, although I'm not afraid of flying. I am afraid of heights in small enclosed spaces. For example, the hot air balloon, Jack, that you might want to give me as a gift, a hot air balloon ride as a gift for, say, my 30th anniversary of priesthood. No, thank you. I won't accept it. You're not going to be ministering to those uh, workers on the high steel, huh? No, no. The the thought of being 4,000 feet up in the air in a four-foot by four-foot wicker basket, forget it, okay? It ain't going to happen. And if it does happen— I'll have to send you later. If it does happen, there better be a good bottle of champagne in that wicker basket, okay, to kind of relax me a little bit. (laughs) Okay, that's number five, heights. Uh, Number four is kind of funny. Other people. We are afraid of other people, Jack. And again, the pollsters asked the respondents to be more specific, and they said public speaking. So again, if this is on your list and you're male and you're 18 to 40 years of old, 18 to 40 years of age, I don't think the fathers are meant for you because we are public speakers. Number three, places with no easy escape. The respondents gave examples of elevators, bridges, and yes, thirdly, I just said it, hot air balloons. (laughs) No easy escape on a hot air balloon. I thought you were going to say parish missions. (laughs) No easy escape from a parish (laughs) mission. (laughs) Number two is spiders. Spiders. Okay, well, well, we'll take that one. And number one, well, let me repeat the, the, the 10 through 2 again. Going to the dentist, dogs, flying in airplanes, severe weather, the dark, heights, other people, places with no easy escape, spiders, and number one, the drum roll, the drum roll, snakes, snakes. So now I ask you, Jack, and I ask all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners listening right now, Where is hell on this list? Where is mortal sin on this list? Are people not afraid of hell, the reality of hell, or the reality of mortal sin, huh? Yet the number one item that people are most afraid of is snakes, serpents, huh? 
And Genesis 3, 1 tells us that the serpent was the most cunning of all the animals that God had made. So this is how pompous and prideful the devil, Satan, Lucifer, the fallen angels is and are, is that they don't want hell and mortal sin on the list, but they want themselves on the list. And not only do they want themselves on the list, they want to make number one on the list, right? So this is very, very telling. Number 1861 of the Catechism tells us, Jack, mortal sin is a radical possibility of human freedom, as is love itself. It results in the loss of charity and the privation of sanctifying grace, that is, the state of grace. If it is not redeemed by repentance and God's forgiveness, it causes exclusion from Christ's kingdom and eternal death of hell. For our freedom has power to make choices forever, with no turning back. However, although we can judge that an act is in in itself a grave offense— we must entrust judgment of persons to the justice and mercy of God. So subjective judgment is of the person individually. That's God's job. But objectively speaking, for the action that we see being performed or lived out, we can say that objectively that action is a sin. Why? Because we've had this revealed to us through sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium. For example, somebody who admits they're an adulterer, somebody who admits they're cohabitating, whatever it is, on objectively speaking, a mortal sin. So again, 1861 of the Catechism, Open Line Tuesday listeners and watchers today, I want you to go to 1861 of the Catechism. Mortal sin is a radical responsibility. And then number 1037 of the Catechism, God predestines no one to go to hell. For this, a willful turning away from God, a mortal sin, is necessary and persistence in it until the end. In the Eucharistic liturgy and in the daily prayers of her faithful, the Church implores the mercy of God, who does not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Huh? We read, Father, accept this offering from, our, from your whole family, grant us your peace in this life, save us from final damnation, and count us among those you have chosen. Beautiful words from the Roman canon, Eucharistic prayer one. We pray to not be going to hell. We pray to not be damned. Save us from final damnation and count us among those you have chosen, huh? And then also number 1865 of the Catechism, Jack, if sin doesn't go checked in the person's life, sin creates a proclivity to further sin. It engenders vice by repetition of the same acts. This results in perverse inclinations which cloud conscience and corrupts the concrete judgment between good and evil. Thus, sin tends to reproduce itself and reinforce itself, but it cannot destroy the moral sense at its root. Give us a call. Did you make the list today of the top 10 things that Americans are afraid of? Give us a call today on Open Line Tuesday. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. 
A terrific offering for the month of October from EWTN Publishing, a blue-collar answer to Protestantism, Catholic questions Protestants can't answer by our good friend John Martinoni. He highlights the flaws in Protestant teaching using common sense. With simple, clear-cut explanations, John lays out the reasons why Protestantism as a whole and its individual parts is illogical and lacking in both common sense and biblical sense. You'll find concise, candid, power-packed arguments from scripture, history, and just plain common sense, along with 30 questions to ask Protestants about what they believe and why. A blue-collar answer to Protestantism, Catholic questions Protestants can't answer, available at EWTNRC.com. Buy Catholic shop, EWTNRC.com. Two um two open lines for you, 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Father Wade? Yeah, there's something I, I want to make a point here to kind of wrap up uh, officially the springboard topic uh, regarding the reality of hell and the reality of mortal sin. You know, there's a great article from June 6th of 2017, a few years back, by Monsignor Charles Pope. It appeared in the National Catholic Register. It's titled, Eight Modern Errors Every Catholic Should Know and Avoid. Eight Modern Errors That Every Catholic Should Know and Avoid. And number one of the eight, Jack, is this, mercy without any reference to repentance. He says, for too many today, mercy has come to mean, quote, God is fine with what I am doing, end quote. But true mercy does not overlook sin and its reality. It presupposes it. It sees sin as a serious problem and offers a way out of sin. God's mercy is his way of extending a hand to draw us out of the mire of sin. And this is why repentance is the key that unlocks God's mercy, for it is by repentance that we reach for and grasp God's merciful and outstretched hand. One of the chief errors today in the modern world is the proclamation of mercy without any reference to sin or repentance. Sadly, this is common, even in the church. It is far too common, for example, to hear sermons on mercy with no reference to sin whatsoever and its reality, whether venial or mortal. The opening words of Jesus' ministry in the four Gospels is, quote, repent and believe in the Gospel. Jesus' first public word spoken in the Gospel is repent. The order here is important, for how can we experience the good news of God's mercy if we do not first repent, come to a new mind, and know our need for that mercy? If you don't know the bad news of sin, the good news of mercy is really no news. Repentance brings us to our senses, makes us accept our need for change in our life, seeks out God, and unlocks his mercy in our life. This error of mercy without reference to repentance is very widespread in the church today and in society, and leads to the sin of presumption, presuming on God's mercy, a sin which is actually against the virtue of hope, the, three, the third theological, second theological virtue of hope, faith, hope, and charity. So presumption, the sin of presumption on God's mercy is a sin against hope. And I think that's just an excellent point uh, that Monsignor Pope makes in this June 2017 article from the National Catholic Register. You can find it easily enough by putting this title in your search bar of your search engine, Eight Modern Errors Every Catholic Should Know and Avoid. Eight Modern Errors that every Catholic should know and avoid by Monsignor Charles Pope. 
833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. One open line for you at 833-288-3986. First up today is Yvonne. She is in Kalamazoo, Michigan, listening on Holy Family Radio. Yvonne, you're on with Father Wade Menezes. Yvonne, are you there? We'll try Britain in Oklahoma. He is listening to EWTN on Sirius XM Channel 130. Britain, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. I have a, a couple questions. Uh, the first one is, I, I'm Catholic, and I was explaining to my brother, who's a non-Catholic, non-denominational, um, he, he's, I was trying to explain to him about the church, and that the church is the holy Catholic and apostolic church, the one true church Jesus Christ established. And he's like, well, I just got back into praying, and, like, I feel a little bit closer to God, but I'm not really into religion or anything like that, and I don't know if the Catholic Church really is the true church, and, and as long as I'm doing the right thing, and um, I'm praying, and I'm happy, that's really what God wants for me. And I just really didn't know how to answer that and how I could help him out. And then my second question would be, uh, does God ever change his mind um, specifically when it comes to, like, a vocational call? Okay, great question, uh, Britton, and thank you so much for your love for your brother and wanting to witness to him about your own love of the Catholic faith. Uh, you don't state whether you're a convert, because you say that you're a Catholic, but your brother is not. I think what you might mean, and I could be wrong about this, is that you're a Catholic, but your brother is a fallen-away Catholic. However, it could be otherwise. It could be that you're a convert, and indeed, your brother is not a, a baptized Catholic who's left the faith. Either way, uh, you don't want your brother to be a good person, a, a good version of self. You want your brother to be the best version of, your, of himself. And you want to remind him that the seven sacraments... Uh, each one that fits into the individual person's life, like Eucharist and reconcilia reconciliation are for all, as is uh, the anointing of the sick, if one is sick and is uh, to be a recipient of that, uh, Eucharist, baptism, uh, confession, confirmation. The sacraments are the seven ordinary channels of God's sanctifying grace, which makes us actual participators in God's own divine life. So the three sacraments of initiation, Britain, are meant for everybody, right? Baptism, confirmation, and Holy Eucharist. Um, the two sacraments of union, which are at the service of communion to the populaces of the world, are not for everybody. Matrimony and holy orders. Uh, for example, I myself, I have it on faith because I love my vocation. I believe I answered God's call accordingly. I have no reason to believe otherwise through faith. I wasn't meant for the sacrament of matrimony. I was meant for the sacrament of holy orders. If you're married, it's safe to say, Britain, that you were not called to the sacrament of holy orders. Um, you're, you were called the sacrament of marriage. So I just want to make, make the point where the three sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist, are meant for all. The two sacraments of union are not meant for all okay? Holy orders and uh, uh, marriage. Matrimony is, is meant for the physical life, and holy orders is meant for the spiritual life, because we receive the sacraments, the seven ordinary channel of God's sanctifying grace, through the sacraments. The last two sacraments, which bring us up to seven total, are the anointing of the sick and confession. Uh, a person is welcome to receive both of those, confession if they're knowledgeable of mortal sin and they need to be reconciled through the ordinary channel by which mortal sin is forgiven, that is the sacrament of reconciliation or confession. 
also called the sacrament of conversion. And the anointing of the sick is to be received whenever one begins to be in danger of death because of sickness or old age. So you can see why anointing of the sick and confession are not sacraments of initiation, like baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist, because those three, again, are meant for everyone. Okay, but you can have a case where you're never sick enough that you need the anointing of the sick. You might receive it as one of the five elements at the end of your life, which is called collectively the five elements, uh, the last rites, of which anointing of the sick is one of those five elements. But it could be a case where you don't receive the last rites because, let's say, the person dies instantly in a car accident, so they never have the opportunity to receive the last rites. Point being here, my point is that I'm trying to make is that this is why anointing of the sick is not a sacrament of initiation, like baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist. Uh, confession, ordinarily speaking, strictly speaking, while you're welcome to take venial sins to confession month to month, uh, it's strictly speaking for mortal sin, because there's other ways that venial sins are forgiven. Well, we have cases in the Church of canonized saints where their spiritual director came forward and testified during their cause of canonization that to the best of their knowledge, they never committed a mortal sin. Uh, the spiritual director said this. So uh, we have, for example, Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati, who died at age 24 from poliomyelitis. St. Therese, who also died at age 24 from uh, consumption, tuberculosis. We have St. Faustina, who who died at age 33 from tuberculosis. We have um, 14-year-old uh, Dominic Savio, who was just a few days shy of his 15th birthday. He died of tuberculosis. Uh, and then we also have uh, St. Maria Goretti, who died at age 11, just a few weeks shy of her 12th birthday, because she was stabbed 14 times by lust addict Alessandro Serenelli, who later converted in prison. So you have these young people, 33 years or younger, men and women, younger and older, these five saints, four saints and one blessed that I just mentioned, they, they had a spiritual director who came forward after their death and testified, to the best of my sincerest of knowledge, they never committed a mortal sin. So my point being here is, this is why confession per se is not one of the sacraments of initiation, like baptism, confirmation, Holy Eucharist is. But yet we are welcome to receive confession, even if we have just venial sins. And I've said it many times on Open Line Tuesday, sometimes week to week it seems, that if you go to confession faithfully once a month, chances are you will only have venial sins to confess. That's a great goal. That's a great goal to make. I only have venial sins to confess, right? Hopefully you won't have mortal sins to confess, even though strictly speaking, confession is meant explicitly for mortal sins, you're welcome to take venial sins to confession. Because there's other ways that venial sins are forgiven, like the penitential rite at Mass, for example, okay? So you want to share with your brother, he doesn't want to be the good version of himself, he wants to be the best version of himself. And it's the seven sacraments that apply to our lives accordingly, uh, those sacraments that apply to our lives, the three sacraments of initiation, the two sacraments of union and communion, and the two sacraments of healing, anointing of the sick and confession, that make us actual participators in God's own divine life. Now, don't forget the most blessed sacrament in witnessing to your brother, where the other six sacraments effect the proper grace that they signify. The Eucharist not only does that, Britain, but the Eucharist is what it signifies. The Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. We would never say that baptism, or, or we would never say that water is the baptism. We would never say that the holy oil, holy oil used at confirmation is the sacrament of confirmation. We would never say that the laying on of hands by the bishop on the ordinandi at the ordination mass 
is the sacrament of holy orders? No. We would say the laying on of hands helps effect the sacrament of holy orders. The, the oil helps effect the sacrament of confirmation. The three-time pouring of water helps effect the sacrament of baptism. But we wouldn't say that water is the baptism or the oil is the confirmation, etc. So where the other six sacraments effect the grace they signify, the Eucharist is what it signifies, and that's pretty powerful. Witness to your brother about the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. I would also recommend that you suggest to your brother that he reads the church fathers on what they said about the Eucharist and Christ founding the one true church. Great encyclical, Pope St. Paul VI, who closed the Second Vatican Council in 1965. Mysterium Fidei. It's church father after church father after church father from the first through seven centuries um, defending the doctrine of the Eucharist. And how can your brother refute that logically, right? Um, so, and, and John Martinoni's new book that, jo- that, uh, that Jack just talked about as when we came back from the break is another great one. So those are just some pointers, Britain. Thank you so much uh, for your call from Oklahoma. Eat at Reba's Place, Britain, in Atoka, Oklahoma. I was there this last summer. Great steak. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Welcome back to Father Wade Menezes' National Tour of Great Steakhouses. Um, (laughs) It was a great steak. What else can I say? Eight three three two eight eight. All of your all of your Holsteins are looking over their shoulder now. By hey, the way, you guys who are eighteen to forty, you want to be an itinerant missionary preacher and do some <laughs> great traveling in the United States, Canada, and Australia. Join the Fathers of Mercy, man! It's an awesome life. Not to mention the priesthood, of course. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're going back to Kalamazoo, Michigan. Yvonne is listening on Holy Family Radio. Yvonne, are you there? I am here. Woohoo! <laughs> well, okay, I am a first-time caller. Um, and, you know, Father Wade, I hit three of those fears, but my biggest one, my biggest fear happened yesterday. Oh, my gosh. This is going to be a great witness call, Yvonne. Thank you so much for calling. First of all, do you care to share which three on the list of ten, top ten things oh. that Americans are most afraid of, affected you or affect you? Snakes, heights, and small places. Okay, there you go. Places with no easy yeah. escape is how it was mentioned. Places with no easy yes. escape, yeah. heights, so, so, and so snakes. An, so an MRI with a snake uh, on the fifteenth <laughs> floor is not not down. You're not down with that, Yvonne. No, I'm dead. No. I'm dead. <laughs> Jack, even I'm scared of that. How you just described that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't do uh, MRIs well at all. They either sedate me or they put me in the open and wide one, and I take in mm. my cloth rosary and I pray the whole time. So, oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's, we're thankful we have those options, aren't we? So, Yvonne, so what happened yesterday that you wish to share with us? My, we went to dinner with my son, adult son. He has two little girls, and we went to dinner. And um, his oldest daughter, she's three, she's very smart like he was, and she came over, and I always wear my scapular with my medals on it. And um, he's not practicing, hasn't been for several probably a decade now, um, and he, she says, she asked me about Jesus, and she goes, have you, I, I said, well, Jesus is everywhere, and he, we hold him in a special place in our heart, 
And she goes, have you ever seen Jesus? And I said, no, I haven't. And um, my, she looks at her daddy and she said, daddy, have you ever seen Jesus? And he goes, hush, we don't believe in Jesus. And I looked at him, and I said, and I gasped, and I said, shame on you, and all I could do was cry. Yeah. Yeah, Yvonne, it's very sad you had to witness that uh, being said by the father to his little girl. How, how sad. You know, the fathers are called to be providers, protectors, defenders, huh? And in that statement to his little girl, hush, we don't believe in Jesus, um, objectively I'm saying this, not subjectively, of course. I don't know your, your son from Adam or Eve, but objectively as a priest, I can tell you, in that statement to her, he was not providing her, providing for her, he was not protecting her, and he was not defending her, uh, her little soul and her little body. And uh, a great answer for you, and I'm so glad you called, Yvonne, because this is a great witness statement that you've made of what happened to you yesterday. And it is scary. You had to witness that, and it was a scary incident for you, I have no doubt. You know what a great answer would have been? And this isn't to embarrass you or to catechize you, because I know you believe this. It's, it just would have been a great comeback. Grandma, have you ever seen Jesus? Yes, honey, I have. I've seen him in the most holy Eucharist when we receive Holy Communion. And when I go make a Eucharistic holy hour, and the Eucharist is exposed. We believe that that's truly Jesus in his body, blood, soul, and divinity, and he wants to give us himself. Now, her little mind, you would know the best way to approach that topic with her, but it would also be a witness in front of her father. You know, I'm given a, a, right now a, a three-night parish mission in Franklin, Kentucky, just 23 miles from the Fathers of Mercy. Um, I go back tonight for the second night, tonight on Tuesday, and it ends up, it wraps up tomorrow night on Wednesday with the solemn closing Mass. But I'm giving three of my five talks on the series titled The Most Holy Eucharist, Gift and Sacrament. And I make it clear, Yvonne, and this bears on your statement, what you just shared with us with what happened to you yesterday with your son. I make the clear statement that our God is a revealed God. Our salvation and redemption began in the womb of a woman. Talk about an argument against abortion. Our salvation and our redemption began in the womb of a woman. Her name's Mary. And nine months later, we visibly saw the incarnate God-man, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. And she laid him in a manger, an eating trough, which is symbolic of the truth of what he would become, the bread of life for us, on that first Good Friday when he was crucified for us. And the night before, on the night of the arrest, Holy Thursday night, he instituted the Eucharist at the Last Supper. And the Eucharist itself has so many Old Testament foreshadowings like the manna, the bread-like substance, the manna that rained down on the Israelites for 40 years after their escape from Egyptian slavery. How about Melchizedek, the high priest, mysteriously offering bread and wine in the Old Testament? That was a foreshadowing of the Eucharist, huh? How about the old temple, God dwelling amidst his people, huh? Uh, what would become for us the Eucharist being reserved in the tabernacles of our Catholic churches, uh, namely for the sick and for adoration, the two chief reasons why we reserve the Blessed Sacrament. And the sanctuary lamp in our Catholic churches near the tabernacle, which houses the Eucharist, the real presence of Jesus and his body, blood, soul, and divinity, has to be a living flame, symbolic of the real, true, living presence of Christ in the Eucharist, okay? Only by special permission from one's bishop can a priest change it to an electric light, like maybe a private chapel in his rectory, or, or a, a historical church that's near railroad tracks, 
and because the church vibrates so much, this ancient church vibrates so much, that the, the pastor got permission from his local bishop to put an electric lamp, uh, so when the train goes by three times a day, there's no fear of the sanctuary lamp falling or anything like that, or, or dripping or whatever, you know. Uh, but it has to be a living flame of either oil or of wax, uh, how about this fourth reason, for, or this fourth Old Testament foreshadowing of Christ in the Eucharist? Uh, the, the fact that the showbread in the temple, what was called the bread of the presence, fed David and his soldiers in the time of battle when they ran out of sustenance, when they ran out of food. Uh, they, the high priest gave them the change out showbread, the changing out of the bread of the presence when new bread was replaced in the temple sanctuary. David and his soldiers got the older showbread, the older bread of the presence. We call Christ in the Eucharist the real presence. There are so many Old Testament foreshadowings. How about New Testament foreshadowings of of the Eucharist that would be instituted in the upper room on the night of the arrest? How about Bethlehem? In Hebrew, where Jesus was born, where, where Mary laid him in a manger, an eating trough, right? Uh, Bethlehem means house of bread. How about that? It literally means house of bread, Bethlehem in Hebrew. Do we need any more examples? I mean, that that kind of tops the cake with the cherry right there, the cherry on the cake. Uh, where Jesus was born means house of bread. How about the only miracle of Jesus that he performed that appears in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is the miracle of the multiplication of the loaves. Uh, all other miracles Jesus performs— the, the curing of the blind, the, the curing of the, of the deaf to hear, the curing of the mute to speak, the curing of the lame to walk, the curing of the disease to be healed of their disease, the curing of the possessed to be exorcised successfully and have their demons cast out. All of these other great miracle categories, none of them, as great as they are, none of them appear in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Only only the multiplication of the loaves appears in all four, which tells us something that the sacred authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tells us something wonderfully about the emphasis they wanted to place on the Eucharist and the real presence. John chapter 6, before the night of the arrest, Jesus does not back down. I tell you solemnly, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So these are ways we can catechize your son, uh, the Church Fathers, I mentioned Mysterium Fidei with our, our former uh, caller, Britain from Oklahoma, trying to evangelize his brother. Mysterium Fidei is an encyclical by Pope St. Paul VI that he issued in 1965. All it is is Church Father after Church Father after Church Father, um, quoting the doctrine of the real presence and what we Catholics believe. You need to ask your son, um, Lori, uh, not Lori, excuse me, uh, is, is it Yvonne? Yes, Yvonne. Uh, you need to ask your son... Uh, honey, I have a serious question for you, and I mean it very sincerely. Uh, if you're in a car accident that puts you in ICU immediately, do you want the last rites? Because you're a non-practicing Catholic, and I need to know as your mother whether you want the last rites or not. Make him think about that. Get him my little book, uh, little hundred-page book, The Four Last Things, A Catechetical Guide to Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell. Have him listen to the opening springboard topic of today's show, Top Ten Things People Are Afraid Of, and How Hell and Mortal Sin Are Absent. I'm going to pray for him uh, tonight and his little girl, and you as well, Yvonne. When I pray my Vespers and my Compline, you'll be special uh, uh, intentions for me when I pray my Vespers and my Compline. And uh, these are different ways you can catechize both of them. Witness about the reality of the Eucharist, especially during this three-year Eucharistic revival. Yvonne, thank you so much for a great witness call. 
Next up is Lori. She is also in Michigan listening on Good Shepherd Radio, another first-time caller. Lori, you are on with Father Wade Menezes. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, Lori. Okay, well, my question is about blessings. Um, Well, I know that priests have to bless sacramentals, but can um, lay people bless other people? And then about when you go into someone's home, I know in the Old Testament it talks about saying shalom, and it puts a blessing on the house. Um, Can you bless people's house when you go visit them, or um, how exactly do blessings work? Okay, great question. There's a great section in the sac- in the in the Universal Catechism about sacramentals and blessings, and we are all called to be blessed and to bless. The Catechism teaches. So, a father, a mother, blessing their child before they go off to school. Um, I just married my niece Chloe and her father, my brother Deacon Lane Menezes. When he walked her up the aisle just before he handed her hand to his future son-in-law's hand, uh, John Dixon, uh, my brother did a blessing on the forehead of his daughter Chloe with his right thumb and gave her a blessing on her forehead. His last time blessing his daughter before she marries with the beautiful sacrament of matrimony in the Catholic Church. So you now, now blessings can vary in degree based on the office the person holds, okay? So a father has higher authority of a blessing than a sibling over a fellow sibling, because the father is the father of those siblings, okay? Uh, A priestly blessing is higher than a diaconate blessing. An Episcopal bishop's blessing is higher than a priestly blessing, although a bishop is a priest. A deacon is not a priest, but there's a hierarchy there of the three levels of the sacrament of holy orders. Because remember, deacons are ordained via the sacrament of holy orders. We have the diaconate, the presbyterate, which is priesthood, and the episcopate, which is bishops, okay? And diaconate is deacons. So we have different levels of authority, and the blessing will bear a greater importance and a greater bearing, if you will, based on who's giving the blessing, but all are called to be blessings to others, and all are called to bless, okay? So, in the tradition of the Church, we want sacramentals, like you rightly said, Lori, to be blessed at least by priests, but a deacon can also extend a blessing over a sacramental. The Book of Blessings is clear about that, but the tradition is to have a priestly blessing, so it would be a higher higher level of authoritative blessing than, than a deacon. So, so, for example, a priest can only exorcise an individual with the bishop's permission. We do not have deacons give the exorcism right. That's not a blessing, but I'm trying to give you an example of the hierarchy of the presence here of the different levels, including with the laity. Again, a father over the mother, but a mother over the oldest child who might attempt to bless his siblings. But yet the oldest sibling would have the higher form of blessing over the younger sibling. So there's an authoritative reality here that the church esteems because of the nature of the family, which is the nucleus of society. And the same as the sacrament of holy orders, diaconate, presbyterate, and episcopate, which is... uh, 
uh, one of the two sacraments of union, at, which serves at the communion of all the populace throughout the world, along with the sacrament of matrimony. Uh, the sacrament of matrimony for physical life, and the sacrament of holy orders for uh, the spiritual life. So I want to direct you to the, to the section of the Catechism on sacraments and sacramentals, and how the sacramentals differ from the seven sacraments. That's very important as well. That's worth noting. A sacramental is not a sacrament, but it can confer actual graces where, um, where sacraments confer sanctifying grace. So number 1667, Lori, of the Catechism is where we begin that section on sacramentals. Again, number 1667. Uh, Holy Mother Church has instituted sacramentals. These are sacred signs which bear a resemblance to the seven sacraments. They signify effects, particularly of a spiritual nature, which are obtained through the intercession of the Church as the Bride of Christ. By them, human persons are disposed to receive the chief effect of the sacraments, and various occasions in life are rendered holy. So I've known people that have been steeped in a life of sin who began to wear the sacramental, the miraculous medal, O Mary conceived without sin, pray for us to have recourse to thee, which comes to us from the approved visions of St. Catherine Laboret of Our Blessed Mother in Nevers, France. Uh, I know people who were steeped in sin who began to pray the rosary daily, and through the good efforts and evangelization efforts of their loved ones, helped them to pray the rosary daily, and the Divine Mercy Chaplet daily. Um, and so they eventually return to the sacraments, namely confession and Eucharist, because of their use of sacramentals. And that's what this number 1667 is saying. Again, uh, Holy Mother Church has instituted the sacramentals. They are sacred signs which bear a certain resemblance to the seven sacraments, although they differ. They signify effects, particularly of a spiritual nature, which are obtained through the intercession of the Church as the Bride of Christ. By them, human persons are disposed to receive the chief effect of the sacraments themselves, which confer God's sanctifying grace. Then we go on in 1668, Lori, to talk about the characteristics of sacramentals and blessings and so forth. So read that section on blessings and sacramentals. Thank you so much for a great question, a great uh, witness question about blessings and sacramentals. And by the way, speaking of blessings, uh, there's a great, uh, the Catholic Family Book of Blessings can be found at EWTN uh, EWTNRC.com, the Catholic Book, Catholic Family Book of Blessings at EWTNRC.com. Congratulations going out to another longtime member of the EWTN radio family. Trinity Catholic Radio in beautiful Carroll, Iowa, is celebrating their 18th year with EWTN. Congratulations to Kelly Foley and the great team at KYMJ 103.1 FM in Carroll. And uh, Dave Prenger and everybody who helped get that thing going uh, from all of us here at EWTN. And be sure to check out EWTN Live tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Father Mitch's guest, the dynamic Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. We go from Holy Family Radio in Western Michigan to Holy Family Radio in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Mike is another first-time caller. Mike, you're on with Father Wade Menezes. How you doing, Father? Hey, Mike, I'm doing great. I was in your area just last week for a five-night parish mission at St. Joseph's in Mechanicsburg. In Mechanicsburg. Yeah, yeah just Father a, just, uh, Tom Rosman. Yeah, yes, I know him really well. Yes, great man, and we averaged with the online and the in-person combined 
The Five Nights averaged 686 people a night, and that's pretty awesome. He did a fantastic job promoting that five-night parish mission. And at that parish mission, I also gave the series the most Holy Eucharist gift and sacrament. Uh, Mike, what can we do for you today? Okay, uh, well, I wanted to ask you, my parish priest at, uh, at my parish at St. Teresa's in New Cumberland uh, announced that uh, I was at the Saturday Night Mass, and he mentioned something about the Holy Father asking for a day of fast uh, this Friday for, you know, for peace in the Middle East with conflict over there. Yes. And uh, just my question is, this might be a dumb question, but uh, the question is, uh, do we do a fast like uh, during Lent, like Ash Wednesday, Good Friday, like uh, two light meals or regular meal, or and plus yeah. with prayer, or or is there a different kind of fast we do for this for this? No, kind a, of, like, a fast a is a fa- if the church is instructing us to fast on Ash Wednesday or Good Friday, or asks us to quote unquote again fast for a particular intention, like for a ceasefire and peace in the Middle East right now or in the Holy Land. Um, unless a special directive is given, a fast is a fast is a fast. And that is that we have um, one sustaining meal and two smaller meals that together do not equal that one sustaining meal, and nothing in between except water and medication that you might have to take. Uh, Now, I know the week I was in Mechanicsburg, the bishop of the Diocese of Harrisburg, your bishop there, Bishop Senior, uh, which is a great name, by the way, <laughs> Bishop Senior, uh, Timothy Senior. He uh, he instructed us that Tuesday of the week I was there it would be a week ago today, a day of fasting and abstinence, fasting and abstinence, which means we also withheld from meat. Okay, but what the Holy Father called for was a day of fast. I don't believe the Holy Father called for abstinence to be included in this coming Friday. Now, many people naturally fast from meat on Friday, like we Fathers of Mercy do all Fridays of the year, unless it's a solemnity, like the Immaculate Conception falling on a Friday, for example. Uh, We fast, we abstain from meat every Friday, so that's just habitual for us. Uh, but but now we're going to fast as well. So so I don't think the Holy Father called for abstaining from meat, but it, it, we have a tradition in the Catholic Church of abstaining from meat on Fridays, and every Friday should be, should be, a day of penitential observance from the 1967, I believe, directive of our U.S. bishops. So, uh, so if, if the Holy Father said just fast, which I believe he did, it would be two smaller meals that together do not equal a sustaining meal, the one sustaining meal, and so nothing in between uh, except for water and or medication you might have to take. So there you have it. A great witness question. Thank you so much, Mike. We really appreciate it. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Linda is in Dubuque, Iowa, listening on the EWTN app. Linda, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program. Hi, thank you so much. Thank you, Father Wade, for your ministry. Uh, You're just wonderful. Um, I have a question about, I know I I heard you speak on the four last things, um, but I have heard multiple people, even Catholic priests, talk about... um, at the end of our lives, um, that we get like a chance that God gives us one final chance to choose him or to not choose him. And I don't know how, um, how to think about that. I've never really heard it, read it in, um, you know, official Catholic yeah. Catholic doctrine. Yeah. Yes, yes. I, I know what you're referring to, that even after clinical death, 
there may be a possibility that God, communicating with the clinically deceased soul, gives them one final chance to say yes to him, rather than to reject them. That is not doctrinal teaching in any document, okay? Where we get that from are from some writings of the saints, like in St. Faustina's diary, which is an approved apparition, but remember the saints' writings Although a particular writing may be approved, it's still private revelation. It's not de fide, Latin for of the faith. And uh, approved writings of the saints, although one would be foolish not to follow them, precisely because the Church and her authority has approved them, same with Marian apparitions that are fully approved by the Church, like Lourdes and Fatima, while it would be foolish not to follow them, remember, private revelation, whether written or in apparition form, is not required for salvation. So that's why you don't see this moment where after clinical death, God possibly, with the soul, communicates with the soul for one more final chance, if the soul died clinically, rejecting God, one more final chance to accept him after clinical death. We read this in some of the approved writings of the Church, but remember, that's all private revelation. One is not bound to believe it. What the Church rather teaches is that immediately after death, the soul receives its particular judgment. And for those of you watching on our Facebook live feed right now with my show, or the EWTN YouTube live page, I'm holding up the four last things. Quick read, 100 pages, uh, five chapters, death, judgment, heaven, hell, and the necessity of the spiritual life is chapter 5. And on judgment, the, the, the second chapter on judgment, again, death, judgment, heaven, hell, and the necessity of the spiritual life. Chapter 2 on judgment, I talk about both the particular judgment with the church teaches, the church teaches day fide, it happens immediately after death. And that doesn't negate the fact that God can still communicate with the soul. So it could be a both and rather than an either or, right? There could be a harmony there between what the Church does teach de fide, quote, the soul receives its particular judgment immediately after death. That doesn't negate that God can't still ask the final question after clinical death for that final particular judgment to come into play, that particular judgment to come into play. It, it's not an either-or here. It, it could be a both-and. But what I want you to understand, based on your question, uh, is that, Linda, is that you're right, the Church does not teach that de fide, that after clinical death there could be still be a final moment that God questions the soul, whether or not the soul wants to accept God. We receive that from private revelation. Private revelation is not needed for salvation, but uh, again, like the Marian apparitions like Fatima, which are so prophetic in nature, they told us so much about the nature of the 20th and 21st century, uh, you'd be foolish not to follow them. For example, one of the things out of the, out of the Fatima apparitions from Our Lady to the Three Shepherd Children was to pray the rosary daily, and we'd be foolish not to because the culture today is very challenging. Great question, Linda. Thank you so much. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners this day and always and remain with you this day and always St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us on behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener, Matthew Bensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Charles Beery. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for another great day of EWTN's Open Line. Back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch Pacwa. Until we get together then, God bless.